Thank you, Pastor Ricky and Miss Ann Wyndham. What a beautiful morning of worship, of worship ministry leading us. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, as we conclude together our four-part series on soul power. And I want to talk to you today about the question of good or evil. Good or evil? Is the human soul good or evil? Um, Our main statement is this, good or evil, our souls are exiled. You know, there's a lot of discussion of, is man, woman, humanity basically good with the capability of committing evil? Or is humanity basically evil with the potential and the capability for doing good? Uh, You can get a lot of answers. In fact, you can find a lot of answers even within churches. Uh, For instance, if you were to stop in every church in Tupelo and denomination, not every church would answer the same on that question. But what we want to do today is look at the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? And what I want to point out to you, I do have an opinion on what we are, by the way, whether we are basically good or basically evil. Um, But here's something that's more important. What's more important is to recognize the state of our souls. And this is what I would want to encourage people that want to seemingly argue, argue all the day long about whether we're basically good or basically evil. Regardless of that issue, and that's an important issue, I'm going to talk about it. Don't, I'm not downplaying it. But regardless of that issue is that we're exiled. You've heard me talk about this a lot over the past few weeks, and what it means to be exiled is this, is that when you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, you realize that we are made for a place where you live forever that's beautiful and you have purpose, and it is what God made us for. That place is called paradise. That place is called Eden. The tree of life is there. Beauty is there. Fulfillment is there. But we're not. We are not. And no matter what happens in this life, it's not paradise. You've heard the phrase, well, it's just a little slice of heaven. Well, no, not really. Because even in the little slice of heaven on earth, bad things tend to happen. Um, I think I've told this story before, but there was a Sunday night when I was pastoring in South Mississippi, these, this dear, both of these dear ladies are now with the Lord. But one of the ladies, uh, she was from a different church tradition. She had not grown up Baptist. And she was uh, in the word of, word of Faith movement. And that's what she had come out of. And anyway, I was teaching on sin and sin nature and that just... Sin is something that we are going to wrestle with our whole life, and we need God's deliverance for forgiveness and transformation. But sin is always right there until we receive our glorified body when Jesus comes again. And uh, she raised her hand, and it's a Baptist church, so I knew it was a question. And I said, (laughs) her name was Yvonne, and I said, yes, Miss Yvonne. And um, it was a Sunday night, and she said, Pastor, may I make a comment? I said, sure. Um, 
that was probably a mistake. But uh, I said, sure, you can. She said, well, I believe that when you become a Christian, you cease to be affected by sin. And that if you'll just believe enough that you can have total and complete victory and be delivered from all sin, and you can be delivered from all the effects of sin as well. It would have been rude for me to say the effects of sins like aging and think, no, I wasn't going to say that, but um, she said, I, I responded to her and I said, well, Miss Yvonne, I, uh, I respect what you're saying, but I, I think the Bible teaches something different that until we get back with the Lord, we're going to be haunted by sin. And she said, well, may I share a testimony? And my answer, I remember this, I was 26 years old, and I just said, maybe. <laughs> and I was an older pastor, middle-aged pastor, whatever, I would have been like, no. <laughs> but <laughs> she said, maybe. And she said, well, my testimony is this. When I had my last three children, because of the victory that I have in Christ, I no longer had any pain. I gave delivery to all three of those and the curse of the fall on women that pain would be increased in childbirth because I belonged to Christ. I had no pain whatsoever. I said, oh, well, thank you for sharing that. I'm sure that there might be some ladies here that might testify differently, but thank you for sharing that. And I was like, okay. Well, after the service, there was an elder saint named Miss Jewel. Miss Jewel came over and found me. Miss Jewel said, preacher I said yes ma'am she said Yvonne I said oh yes ma'am she said I think what she was trying to say to you was she had an epidural <laughs> anyway I look forward to seeing both of those dear friends again they are now with the Lord but anyway friends we live in a world that is stained by sin. In fact, you don't have to get very far in the Bible to realize that this is a broken place. Even out of the Bible in Genesis 4, the very first story we have in exile is what we're going to look at today. Genesis chapter 4, 1 through 8, and also verse number 16. You know this story. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. For the sake of time, I want you to skip down to verse number 16. I'm trusting you know the rest of the story. If not, you can read it today. Then 
Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Because here's what happened. Cain kills his brother, and then God confronts Cain and says, where is your brother? He says, I don't know. And he says, listen, I know what you've done. You are now sent away from the Lord's presence. So the people remember where they are. Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel, four people on the face of the earth. And we already have a murder scene. Four people on the face of the earth, and they are exiled out of Eden. But as we're going to find out in a few minutes, they are right next to it. But because of Cain and what he does, he even goes further and further. So here's our thing uh, to this morning. Again, good or evil, our souls are exiled. Our souls are exiled. Because even if you're going to disagree or agree with me on whether or not humans are basically good or basically evil, it doesn't matter which way you believe, we're exiled. We're not where we are supposed to be. We are outside the paradise of God, and we are all going to die out here. That's what it means to live outside the garden. Of course, this week, as you know, this past week, this Thursday, we remembered my son. It was his homegoing day when he went to see the Lord, um, January the 26th, 2018. It was five years and one of the things is through the tragedies through the years that my family's experienced, we've actually learned to laugh about things so things don't just don't get too sad. And it's what was funny to Andrea and I this week is that our children are precious, and they have, but they have kind of a, a warped view of reality when it comes to death because death has come to my home and our home in an untimely way. They talk about death probably more than your children or grandchildren. Uh, we were in the car this week, and uh, Lucy and Ainsley, these are my, two of my younger daughters, they're in the back seat, and Lucy is holding two Barbie dolls in her hand, and Ainsley has a couple of Barbie dolls too, and they're, we're just in the car. And then all of a sudden, never heard this, never talked about this, she made it up on her own. Lucy said, hey Ainsley, let's play a game with the Barbies. Let's call the game Death. Wow. Hmm. And Ainsley said, no, I don't want to play death. And then Lucy took one of the dolls and threw it up and said, oh, we just lost one. <laughs> and you can ask Andrea, this happened. She was there. And Ainsley was very upset. She said, no, I don't want the Barbies to die. And Lucy said, oh, there goes another one. Why would my daughter be playing death with Barbies? Because death has come to an untime, in an untimely way to her home, and she knows, even as a little girl, you're going to die. You're going to die. And whether your soul is basically good or basically bad, you're still going to die and you're in exile. And it's a real problem because we are outside the garden. So let's talk about there are five sources, at least five sources which contribute to human evil. I'll go ahead and show you my cards. I believe this. I believe that even though we were created good, sin has made us evil. And that even though we have the potential for good, evil is always right there. So we're not only in exile, our souls have a real problem before a holy God because of sin. So there are at least five sources which contribute to human evil that we can see in this story about Cain and Abel. First is the state of the environment. The state of the environment. Now, I'm not talking about climate change. I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about the state 
which Adam and Eve were raising their family. It was not in Eden. What does that mean? That means we find out in Genesis 3 that the ground is cursed. The ground is cursed. Listen to Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you should not, shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your um, face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What is the state of environment that Adam and Eve were raising their family? They were raising their family on cursed ground. They were raising their family on cursed ground. Like, for instance, there's the, the old question of when it comes to sin in our lives. Is it nature or is it nurture? Are you born this way or is this something you just learn from your environment? Well, the Bible says sin comes from both places because the ground is cursed. You see, because the ground is cursed, we are driven by survival and controlled by selfishness. In the Garden of Eden, there's no work in the sense of toil to eat. The work was simply enjoyment. It was the expression of joy and fulfillment. It wasn't I have to scratch to make a living in order to feed my family. No, listen, the trees had fruit on them. You could be filled every day of your life and enjoy it. But not so in the wilderness, not so in exile. Because the ground is cursed, we're driven to survival and controlled by selfishness. And this is why sacrifice becomes such a big deal. That my offering to God, such as Cain and Abel offering of their own to God, whether it be the grain offering of Cain or the lamb offering of Abel, is they are offering to God something out of what they have scratched for. What they have scratched for in the wilderness. And it's a demonstration, just as all giving today, whether you're giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, whether you give your tithes and your offerings, whether I do that. When we do that and we give out of what we have made with our hands, it's a demonstration of this, that Lord, I tr trust you that you're going to provide for me in the wilderness. But it's also a reminder out there, but because this ground is cursed, Humanity is driven by survival and controlled by selfishness. I was talking to Gandalf uh, Savage, the guy here on staff that I do, who's James Savage, who do the podcast with Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast, and he was sharing with me in an article that he had read online that um, essentially every developed nation in the world is only six missed meals from total anarchy. Think about that. Imagine if nobody in the country was able to meet, to, excuse me, to eat for six meals straight. Then double that to 12. Do you think people might lose their minds? Do you think people might just get a little bit selfish? And all the polite society that we enjoy now might be out the window if people are having to feed their children at the point of survival. You see, the state of the environment is this, according to the Scripture. This place is cursed, and it contributes to the human problem. But not only is 
the cursed ground a source that contributes to evil that plagues humanity. Also, the influence of other people. The influence of other people. When we look here, this chapter opens with Adam and Eve. This chapter opens with Adam and Eve, and they are outside the garden. What does this mean? Cain and Abel are the recipients of the fallout of their parents' choices. Cain and Abel are the recipients of the fallout of their parents' choices. It's true of me and my parents. It's true of you and your parents. It will be true of your children when they think about you. We are all intrinsically connected to the generations which have come before us. Certainly there's blessings, and we could go on and on about how our parents and grandparents, many of us can do that, of how they have blessed us. But don't think for a minute there are not liabilities. The influence of other people. Folks, listen, as good as our parents are, they're broken people, just like Adam and Eve. Our parents are broken people. Listen to Genesis 3.24. As a reminder, he drove man out. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So, is it true that the choices of Cain and Abel are somehow were somehow influenced by Adam and Eve, mom and dad? Of course it's true. If Adam and Eve had never sinned in the garden, Cain and Abel would have never sinned outside the garden. It's so true, they are connected. Um, the influence of other people, because our parents are broken. But not just our parents, everyone else is broken too. I want you to look in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, as we just read. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. It wasn't just that Cain needed to give an offering. Abel needed to give one too. Even with just four people on the face of the earth, all four of those people were broken. So you had the influence of the parents, you had the influence of the siblings, and had there been more people, maybe there were other siblings that we don't read about yet, I, I don't know, but only, we only have record of this part of the story of four people right now. But had there been others, those people would have been broken too. So the question is this, does the influence of other people influence the condition and the evil which, are inside, which is inside each of us? Well, of course it does. The influence of other people has a great effect on us, just like the state of environment, but also the influence of other people, but also the condition of our souls. The condition of our souls. We've already talked about this, but when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they became sinners. They became sinners and passed this to their children. This is why we say, listen, we are born as sinners because we're born outside the garden. Listen, something happened to Adam and Eve when they chose to disobey God. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 22 says this, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and live forever, and that's when God sends him out of the garden. 
But according to Genesis 3.22, here's what happens. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they not only sinned, they became sinners. They now had this illicit knowledge that they were not meant to have. And because of this, they are exiled, and then they pass this sinning condition along with death to their children. Romans 5.12 speaks of this. Also, as a reminder that we are following after the pattern of our parents, listen to Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. This is the book of the generation of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So man was created in the likeness of God. But there is a critical statement that I want you to see. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. But look at this next statement. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. His own likeness. So this one, after his image, and named him Seth. Okay, there's, there's something that has changed here, and the Bible wants to make clear that Adam was created in the image of God, but before Adam had children, something happened. Adam became a sinner. Adam was exiled out of the Garden of Eden, and now Adam is a sinner dying in exile in the wilderness, and this is where he has a son. So Seth, Adam's child, is now patterned after what Adam has become. So when we talk about the condition of our own souls, Adam and Eve sinned and became sinners, and they passed this to their children. This is why we don't have to teach our children to sin. We come out of the womb ready to go when it comes to sin. And not only that, sin is always just right there. Um, it leads me to the next point there, the subpoint under that, which is sin is always right there. I want you to look in Genesis 4-7. This is not something I understood until the last two years of my life, but it's fascinating to me. Genesis 4-7, it will be here on the screen. This is God speaking to Cain when Cain is downcast because he has sinned before God, but not, well, excuse me, he hasn't sinned before God. He's just offered a sacrifice that was not pleasing to God, not what God required. Um, and God says, listen, you need to do better than that. I'm, just do well and it'll be okay, essentially. But if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Leave that scripture there on the screen. I missed this for years. Every time that I read this passage, I took sin is crouching at the door to mean something very different than what critical uh, scholars actually that uh, know this stuff much better than I do, what they take from this text. What I took from this text is say, God saying to Cain, listen, Cain, you need to get right and do this the right way because sin is crouching at the door of your heart. It is right there ready to seize the opportunity for you to do evil. However, and a lot of this came through my study 
when we were doing the podcast during this time, looking at this section of Scripture, notice it doesn't say the door of your heart or your door. Notice it says it's definite, the door. The door. God is saying to Cain, listen, even though you're right here, sin is crouching at the door. Now here's the question. What possible door could he be talking about? What possible door could be mentioned here in Genesis chapter 4? And what I've discovered in the last two years, a better way of understanding this, it is this door is the doorway back to Eden. Now, when you read Genesis 3, Genesis 3 says that God exiles human beings out of the Garden of Eden, and he sets up two cherubs, cherubim, two of them, at the entrance to the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword to guard the entrance back into Eden. Now, what's interesting is the imagery is picked up. If you're reading through the Bible this year, you've probably gone through Exodus already or in Leviticus, but the imagery is picked up in Exodus and the instructions to build the Ark of the Covenant that will be in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and ultimately in the temple. The Ark of the Covenant is the gold chest which symbolized God's presence and sitting on top of the Ark of the Covenant is this thing called the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the lid of the Ark of the Covenant and this is where God instructed Moses to instruct the high priests to pour the blood of the offering onto the mercy seat. And then over the mercy seat, do you know what was over the mercy seat? Two cherubim. Two cherubim were fixed, extending their wings. And cherubim, by the way, are not angels. They're living creatures, heavenly beings. But two cherubim, we'll talk more about that tonight if you're interested in that. But two cherubim fixed over the Ark of the Covenant. And then you can read this in Exodus. And then here's what God says. And I will speak to you. Between the cherubim, my voice will come through that, that place of glory above the mercy seat between the cherubim. That's where the high priest will come in and make offering and sacrifice. And then I will speak to him right there at the place where heaven meets earth. And what critical scholars say is that that's what was happening here. One of the things we don't think about is Cain and Abel, well, they offered sacrifice. And this is so obvious, I can't believe I never thought of this. Who offers sacrifice in the Bible? Priests do. Priests offer sacrifice. And they, the high priest would take the sacrifice to literally the door where heaven meets earth in the holy of holies between the cherubim. And then that is where, that is where man would meet with God. Now, What's interesting is that we are told that Cain, even right here, you're still in the wilderness and sin is crouching right here at the door. No wonder Paul says in Romans 7 verses 21 through 23 when talking about our sinful condition, 
So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. If you underestimate the influence of sin, you do it at your own peril. I'm preaching a message right now. I am no more than 30 minutes from committing catastrophic sin. You say, well, gosh, don't do that. Well, no, I don't want to. God forbid. But heaven forbid I reach the place that I'm not capable of it. Because God gives instructions that even at the most holy place on earth, it's still not eaten, and sin is crouching right here. Our sin problem is so bad is that we are not only exiled, but even in our best moments, Cain's offering a sacrifice. He's supposed to be doing the most noble thing in the world. And God says, Cain, sin is right here. And it's wanting to take advantage of you. So sin is always right there. Now, another source of human evil, I've got to go on. We'll have to do this a little bit quicker. But the choices which we make in our past. The choices which we make in our past. Uh, clearly, um, I'm not going to read this, reread it, but in Genesis 4, 5 through 6, Cain felt bad because his offering had been rejected. And that defined him apparently going forward because he went head head and killed his brother. So there's several things that contribute, we've talked about, to evil in the human heart. The state of the environment, the influence of other people, the condition of our souls, the choices we make in our past, but then there's one more. There's one more, and it's the one we always blame, and that is the devil made me do it. Now, let me just say something real quick. We always blame it because it's so easy because everybody agrees that the devil is bad. However, we need to understand that it is just one source contributing to our problem, not the source. It's just one. So the influence of dark powers. I want you to look again in Genesis 4-7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. That word crouching there in the original language is a verb that speaks of an animal crouching to seize its prey. It's personified. That Cain, there is evil that you don't understand that is wanting to seek its teeth into you. That's what it means. Jesus talks about this in Luke 22, 52 through 53, when he is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he talks about that evil has more than one side, that you have the actions that we do, but there are dark powers behind the actions. You say, Brother Matt, are you saying that you believe in a secret cabal that's causing all kinds of problems everywhere in the world? Yes, they're called principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world, and they live in the unseen realm, and they're empowered by hatred of God and they are not flesh and blood Luke 22 52 through 53 and Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him have you come out as 
against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the powers of darkness. The power of darkness. So what is Jesus reminding us? That this human evil, this betraying the Son of God here, yes, it's the choices that these chief priests and the elders and Judas is making, but it's more than that. The powers of hell are at work here. So you have all of these things which contribute to human evil. The state of our environment, the influence of other people, the condition of our souls, the choices we make in our past, and the influence of dark power. Which leads me to the second thing. Is that obedience to God's commands does not solve our soul's problem of evil. See, unfortunately, we live in a place and time where it's, listen, if you're just good, that'll be okay. I want to talk to you really quick about this, because again, so much to say in so little time. I want you to understand what God is instructing Cain to do here. He is instructing him to obey and to offer an acceptable sacrifice. But I want you to see what obedience can do and what it can't do. Obedience keeps us close to God, but it does not make us right with God. Friends, God was offering Cain obedience so that Cain might stay next to the garden. God was not offering Cain obedience so Cain could come back to the garden. God was offering Cain obedience so he didn't, as in verse 16, go further and further and further. Obedience is good. It doesn't solve our core problem, but it does keep us close to God. We've often heard it said, God blesses obedience, and amen to that. But a better way of understanding is obedience is itself the blessing. The blessing of obedience is walking closely with God. Adam and Eve, even though they were exiled, they were right there close to God. Which means this, obedience allows us to stand near the presence, but not in the presence. It doesn't take us home. Good decisions... Right choices, those are all good, and God has given us commandments, but obeying those commandments cannot save our problem. Our problem is deeper than that. We're dying in exile, folks. Which leads me to the final thing, a clearer way of understanding the good versus evil condition of the human soul is Eden and exile. I'll go ahead and show my cards and say, again, I'll just remind you, I believe that human beings were created good, but because of sin, we have become evil. And that because of that, even though we're capable of good, it does, there's no way, there is no way we can fix our problem with God. And that apart from something else, we're going to die in the wilderness and be separated from God forever and ever and ever and ever. You see, our souls were created good, but they are now stained by evil. They are stained by evil. And as we just said, obedience does not solve our exile. You say, well, look, I'll be a good person. Well, good. I want you to be a good person. I want everybody to be a good person. Life will be so much more pleasant if everybody sought to be good. But you know what? We're still just going to be good people in the place you die. 
We're still going to be in exile. Being good doesn't solve the problem. Being good only keeps us closer to the way we're supposed to be, but it can't take us home. You see, dying in exile apart from God is to stay in the wilderness forever. This is why Revelation picks up on the inside versus outside imagery in Revelation 22 Verses 14 and 16, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have right to the tree of life. Where is that at? It's in Eden. And that they may enter the city by the gates. You can come in the door, same imagery, but outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Dying apart from God is to stay exiled in the place of torment forever, according to Revelation. Which brings me to this final point, which is the best one. Obedience brings us to the door, but only faith brings us home. Well, faith, faith in what? Well, faith that the God who sent me out will bring me back in. I have a deep love for the Gospel of John. I preached to your sermon series on it here. But here are two verses from John that I think are so appropriate for today's message. What does Jesus say? And I want you to hear it with new ears today. Jesus says in chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. The door. Wow. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. Listen to John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, what is the condition of your soul? The condition of your soul is that you are exiled. And you're exiled because of your sin. You're exiled because of your parents' sin and their parents before them. You're exiled because the world is a broken place. There's all this stuff. We are separated from God. And when you come and I come to church week after week, it is not an invitation to get better because getting better may move you closer to the door but you can't walk through the door only Jesus can bring you in only Jesus by trusting and believing that Jesus truly the lover of your soul and my soul has come into the wilderness to the place of exile and says to us it's time to come home and wants to take us by the hand and take us to the promised land this is the message of the bible so how do we close out these thoughts is friends good or evil your soul is exiled and I want to ask you a very personal question right now. And it is no stretch to say this is the most important question 
that you will ever answer. And this question is, have you received Jesus and asked him to do for you what you can't do for yourself? You're in church on a Sunday morning. I'm already assuming you're a nice person and you're a good guy or a good girl. But taking you all the way to the door is not taking you back to Eden. There's only one way back. The only way back is to come to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And here is what's so wonderful about Jesus. Because if obedience was the way back, how would I know if I'd ever done enough? How would I know if I could keep it up and not lose it? But obedience is not the way back. The way back is trusting in Jesus that he does and has done for you what you could not do for yourself. So you are saved not by your efforts, but God's promises and God's work. Have you come to Jesus? Not are you nice? Not are you a good, faithful member of First Baptist Church of Tupelo? Not does your wife love you? Does your husband love you? Do your children love you? Are you a good citizen? Do you not cheat on your taxes? All those things are great and I hope you do them. But what have you done with the door? The door. Jesus. And if you've never asked him to be your personal Lord and Savior, I've got news for you. You're going to die in the wilderness and there will be no way home. I'll close this and I'll be done. I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but Chuck just passed away Chuck Harrington a couple of months ago I got to meet with Chuck in the hospital and he had been shocked he um, you all may know that he had some heart troubles through the years and he flatlined and was uh, you know clinically dead for or whatever for a little bit and they shocked him back um, I may have said that wrong but um, I'm not a doctor excuse me um, but anyway I was talking to Chuck and he said Matt I think I, I think I died for a minute. I said, why? He said, all of a sudden, he said, I was standing at the edge of a field and I was looking and it was nothing but the most beautiful gold as far as you could see. And he said, the music was so beautiful and it was so peaceful. And he said, and I didn't want to leave. And then here I was, I was back. Friends, if like Chuck, you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus, you're going home. But if you don't know him, I want you to know him today. We're going to sing here in just a minute. And if the Holy Spirit is talking to you saying, listen, the pastor's talking to you today. You know, and the Holy Spirit is saying to you, I know that you have not done this. You need to give your heart to Jesus today.